Well, hey, good morning. If you can't tell, I'm not John Schmidt. Uh, just a little smaller in size. My name's Shane Seegers. I'm one of the pastors here at Center Point. So glad you're here today. John is out of town. Uh, just went to a memorial service for someone who he's known for decades who was meaningful in his life in ministry. And so um, we're glad that he was able to go there and be with uh, family and friends uh, from long ago. But we are going to talk about meaningful relationships today because it is impossible for you to talk about your life and not reference meaningful relationships. I, I think that's the case. I mean, John, he can't talk about his life without talking about this man and his impact in his life. And so when, if you were to hear my story, I could start by telling you certain dates. December 17th, 1971. It's an incredible date. You know why? It's my birthday. And that is an awesome day because it forever, I mean, it was the beginning of my life, but it helps define the key relationships that formed who I am. I was given to Van and Jean Seegers. My older brother was Vince. Everything that I've learned, everything that I value, everything that, you know, has been poured into me somehow has been shaped by those individuals. And I, I mean, I can't explain my life without the reference point of being Van and Jean's son. And then uh, I could tell you lots of other relationships, but I'll give you another date. February 12th, 1991. It was a Tuesday. And that was the date that I was introduced to Martin Hogg and John Yule. And these are two college students that God used to answer a prayer of an 18-year-old guy in Johnstone C724, that was my dorm room at Clemson. And I remember praying, God, if you're real and everything that my parents taught me about you is true, you need to come get me because I want more in this life than what I'm experiencing. And two days later, these guys came and knocked on my door and my life has never been the same since. In fact, the whole trajectory of my life was transformed by a couple of college students and their relationship for Jesus. Because what I saw in them was not someone who knew about Jesus. I saw two individuals that in their limited knowledge, they knew Jesus. And I wanted that. And God used their life to shape me. And in fact, I'm in ministry because of the impact that those guys had on my life. August 14th, 1993, another glorious day. That's the day that Janelle became my wife. And let me tell you, there's not a relationship in this world that will transform you more than being married. Because the one thing I learned about getting married is I thought it was about how much I loved Janelle. No, I was wrong. It was about teaching me how selfish I am. And God has used that relationship to hopefully make me a better husband, a better follower of Christ, and a better man because of the things that she has taught me and the things that she's helped me to develop as two people learn to become one. I can't, I can't explain my life without looking at how that relationship has changed me. February 26, 1996, that was the day my first son was born. I have four children. I could tell you all their birthdays, but this was a relationship that transformed my life forever because I became a father. 
And like I said, getting married taught me about how selfish I was. Having a child taught me about unconditional love in a way I never understood it before. This is a child who's never done anything. You will do anything in the world for that baby. And God used that to help me to understand his love for me. But it was also through that relationship I've learned about acceptance and forgiveness and enduring. And that is a relationship that God has used to transform me even more. And I could go on and on about these relationships. And if you stopped to think about your life, you would see those relationships as well. And you would know how God has used those in your life. And that's why at center point, relationships are incredibly important to us. How many of you have ever heard the saying, it's all about relationships? We say it all the time here at Centerpoint. We even put it on our walls. We put it on, you know, T-shirts. But, you know, if it's only a slogan, then we've missed the mark. In fact, I don't even want to talk about what we say here at Centerpoint. I mean, that's the whole point of this series is paramount because we're talking about the things that are most important to us, not just because we're center point, but because we're Christians, because we're followers of Jesus. And we want to keep the main things, the main things. And last week we talked all about the, one of the most important things as a Christian is to make sure that we help people find life because apart from him, they're spiritually dead. And apart from him, we can do nothing. We need life in him. But once we get life in him, he brings us together. And now we have relationships. And that's what we want to talk about today. Not because it's a slogan, not because we think it's important, but because of what Jesus says about relationships. So will you all pray with me? Father, I want to thank you so much for this day. I thank you for everyone that is here in this room. God, I thank you that we're encountering your presence. Lord, I pray that the words that I say today, it's not just about being entertaining and engaging. God, I pray that you will speak through your truth. You will move me out of the way. And that, God, whatever we need to hear today so that your will can be done in our life, would we be open and receptive to that? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your outlines, why don't you go ahead and open that up and we'll jump right in. Because the first thing that I want you to understand is that relationships are essential for Christianity. Essential. They're not just important. They're not just a good thing. They are absolutely critical, vital, necessary in order for, our, for us to be Christians and for our Christian faith to be all that God wants it to be. And I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why we believe that's to be so. The first one is because Jesus taught that relationships are God's priority. They're God's priority. How do we know that? Well, one time Jesus was out uh, and about and a religious leader came to him and was questioning him and said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there. He said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus did not emphasize one relationship over the other. Sometimes when you go to a church or you, you encounter people, it's all just about our vertical relationship with God. And it's important because, again, what we talked about last week, apart from him, you have no life. We need our relationship with God. 
And our relationship with God determines how we're going to treat each other. And that's why Jesus said the second is equally important. He didn't say, well, actually, it's it's slightly less important than the first one. Because loving God is the utmost priority. No, he said these are the same. And you might go, well, well, how can these two things be the same? Well, let's go through it. And let's, let's find out why these things are so important. First, uh, letter B is our relationships are proof that we are Jesus' disciples. So if we want to prove to the world we're his followers, then our relationships need to show it. Now, the world judges us all the time, don't they? They look at us and they, and they judge us based on all kinds of things. But a lot of times it's about our relationships. And one of the things people say about Christians is that, you know it, we say it all the time. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're people who say one thing and do another. But what Jesus told us is that we should have a different um, reputation in the world, not as hypocrites, but as lovers of God and each other. And so listen to what Jesus says. In John 13, 34, 35, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is one of the last interactions he has with his disciples. It's in the upper room before he goes to the cross. And so you can imagine he's talking about the things that are of utmost importance. And he says to them, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And that's very important. Because he didn't just say love each other. He told us how we should love each other. We should love each other the same way that he loves us. And he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples, that we're his followers, that our life looks like his. Why? Because we love in the same way. You know, and that's why here at the church, we want to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to become someone who follows his teachings and his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not hard. In fact, they're simple. Love one another. I don't know why we make that so difficult and complicated. You know, we tell people, or sometimes we make people feel like you don't know enough, that you have to keep studying, have to learn to be a disciple. When the fact is, Jesus smacked me on the head one day and goes, how often do you have to teach someone that really what I'm after is that you love one another the way I've loved you? What's so hard about that? What do you need? What do you still need to learn so that you can apply that to your life? And what Jesus would do in and through us if we loved one another. In 1 John 3, 14 John writes, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. That's why we talked again about last week, making sure that everyone experiences abundant life because that's our greatest need. But how do you know when you have abundant life? Is it because you have a perfect attendance pen and you show up to church every week? Is it because you can quote certain, certain scriptures and you know a whole lot? No. We can know when we have the sun. Because when we have the sun, we have the life. And how do we know we have the life? When we show it in love for one another. It's not that difficult. But yet, so often we can get distracted. And we can chase after the wrong things. And before you know it, it's not really about loving one another. It's about arguing with each other. 
And it's about trying to prove who's right and who's wrong. And it's not that there aren't things about right and wrong. But even in Scripture, Paul says to the Corinthians, remember, it's not about knowledge because knowledge does what? Puffs up. But love does what? Builds up. And that's what we're called to do. And that's why we want meaningful relationships. Because this is God's priority and it's the proof that we're his disciples. But see, it's also loving others is how we love God, which is the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, how do we do that? When we love each other. Now, I'm not confusing and I'm not dumb. I'm not saying you are God when I love you. I'm saying I'm loving God when I love you. Because this is why. In John, 1 John 2, 3 through 5, listen to what John writes. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Now, what are his commandments? Love one another, right? So we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. And if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him. So here's the thing. If I love God, I obey him. If I obey him, I love him. And when I'm obeying him and loving him, his commandment is that I love you. And your commandment is that you love each other. This is why I'm saying if, I, if we love each other, we're loving God. It seems complicated, but it's really not. Listen to what else John writes in 2 John chapter 1, verse 6. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another, just as you have heard from the beginning. You know, it's so funny. I could stay up here, and I know you guys are saying, please don't, please don't. I could stay up here, and I could read all day, verse after verse after verse of Jesus' word, God's word, just telling us to love one another, to put the needs of others above ourselves. And you know why it's a struggle? Because we're selfish, and we're sinful people. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why we need to hear his commands that aren't just about, well, let's just do what's easy. No, it's about staying in a line, in alignment with what God's will is for us. And that's loving one another. But here's another very important reason that we believe trans- relationships are important. Is that God uses our relationships to transform us to be more like Jesus. See, a lot of times we're in relationships because what we can get out of them from someone And what I want you to know, the greatest thing is not what someone can necessarily do or serve in your life. It's what God will do in your life through a relationship. And he transforms us to be more like him. And how he knows? Because God is love. If we're going to be more like him, we're going to become more loving. Now, it's important because the people that you are with are going to help that. Listen to Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise associate with fools, and get in trouble. Suffer harm. Now, there's some things that are pretty interesting. If you walk with the wise, what happens? It has a transformative effect in your life, right? You become wise. And a wise person is the one who knows the right thing to do and does it. This is, this is a parent's all-time favorite verse. You know, you look at your children and you say, hey, who you hang out with, that's going to affect the direction of your life. 
and the quality of your life. If you hang out with wise people, it'll have an impact on you. You will become wise. But it says if you hang out with fools, does it say you'll become a fool? Not necessarily. It does say you'll suffer harm. You'll experience the consequences. Because here's what a fool is. A fool is no different than a wise person in the sense of what they know. A fool and a wise person both know the same thing. The difference is a wise person applies it and a foolish person ignores it. Now, what kind of people do you want to make sure that you're associating with? The people who know right and do it or the people who know right and ignore it? Because what the Bible tells us, it's not that we don't have relationships with people who do foolish things. We do. But if they're the ones who you are with all the time, then your life will take that direction. And here at the church, what we're trying to do is to say, no, relationships are important. It's how God transforms us. Listen, 2 Timothy 2, This is Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, in his last letter, things that are important. He's saying, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And I think that's real important. You know, too often we, again, remember I said we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable last week, where sometimes we put it on rules and other things. Well, sometimes we can put the emphasis on this, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. And so we're always trying to focus on what we should be avoiding. But the real emphasis should be on instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Because guess what? As you're pursuing those things, you can't be stimulating youthful lust. They're mutually exclusive. But how many of you know sometimes that's a difficult journey on our own? It's hard. That's why we need people encouraging us on that journey, challenging us, helping us to go in that pursuit of what God has for us. And so he says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Now, if you're looking for friends that are perfect, you're going to be looking a long time. Because there's no perfect people, are there? But what this says, enjoy the companionship of those who have a pure heart. That means whose hearts aren't, they're not contaminated, they're not polluted, they're not diluted, they're not distracted. It's pure. And that's what we're looking for. Again, I look at my life and the people who've had the greatest impact in in my life were not the ones who were perfect, but that God was their number one priority. And there was no doubt about it, that they were pursuing him above all else. And when I ran with those guys, when I was with them, my life changed. And it's not just for me, it's for all of us. In 2 Peter, Paul writes, I mean, Peter writes, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. That means doing the right thing. And moral excellence with knowledge. Continue to grow in our knowledge of who God is and what his will is. And knowledge with self-control. Self-control is what helps us to make sure that we apply it. And self-control with patient endurance. Not only just apply it, keep at it. Keep doing it. And when you patiently endure, you keep doing, guess what? You'll begin to see godliness form in your life. That's his character because we're pursuing his will and his ways. And with that character, with godliness, he says, add brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. And that word love there 
is agape. That's that unconditional love. I want to stop right there because sometimes in church, we invert the order. We start off with this idea of, well, we all just have this low level of love. It's just mutually agreed to love one another. And then we start adding on to it our, our you know, levels of uh, moral excellence. Well, do you behave well enough in your knowledge? Well, do you know this? And then all of a sudden, these things that we're adding to love, they really become ways that we nitpick it and we tear it apart and we begin to, to not be united but divided over these things. And it's not that we shouldn't grow. We should, but we should add love because that's the goal at the end is to, um, is to grow more like him because it says the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be useful and productive in your relationship with Christ? Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you want to be more useful and productive then your love factor has to grow, not just your knowledge factor. And so this is why we believe relationships are incredibly important because of what God wants to do in and through our lives, through relationships. Well, let's look at the second point here. Relationships become meaningful when they are Christ-centered, allowing us to treat people as God treats us. Now, let me take a, a pause here because we're going to talk about this meaningful relationship because Christ has to be at the, at the center. Because our relationship with Christ, how God treats us, has to change everything about how we treat other people. And I, I want you to, to know this. You will treat people exactly how you think God treats you. Look at your behavior. If you're impatient with someone, I promise you it would not take me long to figure out where you think God is impatient with you, that God has a limit with you. And, that, and so if we think God's impatient with us, we show our impatience with others. If you think God hasn't forgiven you completely, then there will become a line where you will hold unforgiveness against someone else. So we have to understand having Christ at the center of our relationships is what's going to allow us to have meaningful relationships with other people. But what people are experiencing in this world is not me, are not meaningful relationships. By and large, people are experiencing disposable relationships. Do you agree with that? Because we look at it and it's like, well, if I don't get what I want out of this relationship, I'm done with you. The problem is, if that's how God treated us, it would be awful for us. God never disposes of us. God never looks at our performance or where we are and says, well, you're not far enough. No, he endures in this relationship because he is doing a work in and through us. And if we want to be someone that God works in and through, he's going to use our relationships, not only to work through us into the life of someone else, but he's going to use that relationship to work on you. And I don't know if you know, we do not want to be a church where people say, well, I only come to this church because of what I get out of it. Well, that's why people church hop in all the time. Because there comes to a point where it's like, well, I'm just not getting enough out of the sermons anymore. Well, I'm sorry. If, that's why they only let me preach like once a year. Because I only have a couple of messages. So if you, it wouldn't take long for you to get everything I got. And then you'd be heading on to somewhere else. 
But the reality is that's not what we're in church for. It's not just for what we get out of it. It's for what God wants to do in and through us. And the committed relationships are incredibly important about that. So when we look at these relationships, listen to what Paul writes in Philippians. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And what we learn from the rest of that passage is, well, what attitude did Christ Jesus have? He did not consider equality with God for something to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself and he gave himself as a servant to die for us. He didn't just look at a relationship for what he could get out of it. He looked at what he could give through it. And we need to understand relationships don't serve us. We serve the relationships. And if you have an idea of this relationship is all about what I get out of it, you're going to have a very meaningless life. And those relationships will become very disposable. So here are three things that a meaningful, Christ-centered relationship require. And the first is very simple. Meaningful relationships demonstrate unconditional love. Remember, that's what Jesus' commandment is, that you love one another as I've loved you. He loves us unconditionally. In Romans 12, 9, he says, don't, or Paul writes, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Do you know when we pretend to love people? When it's easy. Because when it costs us something, that's when we bail. When it costs us energy, time, frustration, all those things. Because relationships are hard. If you're thinking relationships are just going to be easy because you both love Jesus or you love each other, then we don't realize the fact that we still struggle with the sin nature. That's why there's all these commands about how we should treat one another and why we need to endure with one another and be patient with one another because we're not perfect. And even if I don't want to hurt you, I might do something that unintentionally hurts you. And we're going to need to figure that out. And unconditional love is what allows us to do that because it says, I don't love you if you do this or I love you because you do that. It says, I love you anyhow. And the reason why that's important is because that love is based upon God because that's how God loves us. He doesn't love us based on what we do. He loves us based on who he is. And he challenges us to do that. And I want you to understand about this, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's an act of the will. Too, much, too often in our, in our culture, we've made love just about how you feel. I don't think Jesus demonstrated his love just based on how it was going to feel. His love showed itself in dying for us. That was a commitment to put our needs above his own, regardless of how easy or how it felt. Here's another thing about meaningful relationships. If we're going to have meaningful relationships here at the church that God is going to work in and through, we need to have unreserved acceptance. Now, this is difficult. Romans, Paul says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When we accept someone, it doesn't reflect necessarily on us. When we accept someone as Christ accepts us, who does it bring praise to? To God, because it's reflective of what God does to us. Now, let me ask you a question. 
How did God accept you? When you had it all together? When you were trying to go and pursue him with all your heart and all your strength? No. God accepted you when you were in your worst place. And he said, no, I'm not going to allow you to stay away from I'm accepting you. You can come to me. Now, it's a struggle for us. And here's a note. The reason why it's a struggle for us is because acceptance is not based upon agreement or approval of behavior. And too often that's become the test of whether or not we'll accept someone. Do I approve of what you're doing? Do I agree with what you're doing? I want you to know there's going to be a lot of things in life that people do that we do not accept of and, we're in, and we do not approve because God does not approve of those things. But at the same time, we have to be able to demonstrate that we still accept them because at that point, someone will be secure and free enough to allow God's transforming work and love to happen in their life. So we want to make sure that we accept people and, and we see this in Jesus' life. We saw him accept all kinds of people. Remember the religious leaders would get so mad at Jesus. Why are you eating with such scum? Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. Don't you know what kind of people they are? You should be better. And what was Jesus' response? Those are for the people who I came from. The sick are the ones who need a doctor, not the healthy. And too often, we continue to hold people at bay and not accept them because it may be something we don't approve of. Well, I'm sure Jesus didn't approve of those things either, but he still accepted them. Here's a third thing that helps us in meaningful relationships. They require complete forgiveness. Again, listen to this from Colossians. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, how are we supposed to love people? How Christ loves us. How are we supposed to accept people? As Christ accepts us. How are we supposed to forgive people? As Christ forgave you and me. And how does Christ forgive us? Completely, totally. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't constantly bring up our sins against us, continuing to hold it over our head. He's released it. He's paid the penalty for it. So I want you to know to forgive is to release the offense. Now, what I'm not saying about forgiveness is forgive and forget. Because I don't know if I can do that. I've forgiven people, but the worst things that I've had to forgive, the harder it has been to forget because it hurts the things that they did. I'm not saying forgive and forget. It's forgive and, not, and choose not to hold it against someone repeatedly. I'm not saying when you forgive, you will necessarily feel better. It is better that you forgive. It has greater results in our life if we forgive. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes forgiving people is hard. But it's not based upon feeling. It's based upon a choice in a response to what God has done for us. I'm not saying forgiveness means that you must move back into the same destructive relationship. That would be foolish. But I can still forgive someone even if I don't approve, even if what I acknowledge what, they done, what they've done is wrong. I can still release them from it. Because if I don't, who am I really hurting? Them or myself? When we don't forgive, the bitterness 
is ours. And that's the story Jesus talked about, the wicked servant. He had been forgiven so much. He was forgiven a lifetime debt that he could never repay. He went and found somebody who owed him basically lunch money and had that guy thrown in prison. And when the king who forgave that huge debt heard about it, he brought the wicked servant back and said, why would you not forgive? I forgave you so much and you cannot forgive so little. And then he was thrown in prison. And the whole point of that story is when we don't forgive, we're the ones imprisoned by our bitterness. And if we want to have meaningful relationships, they got to be relationships that are based upon Jesus and how Jesus treats you so we can treat other people right. That's why we want people in connect groups. And I'm not telling you that you're going to find your best friends in a connect group. You might find some great friends. But what you will find, hopefully, is that you guys will commit to one another to be the kind of friend that says, well, I will love you, I will accept you, and I will forgive you. I will encourage you. I will speak truth to you. I will be there when you have a need. Because if you're waiting to find friends when you have a need, it's too late. This is why we want people to find groups now. Now, here's the last thing I want to tell you. And it's our life application. Because if I was going to take all this stuff down and say, well, what do I do with this? Here's the saying. We want to respond to God and not react to people. Ephesians 5, 17 says this. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. See, if I'm reacting, I'm acting thoughtlessly, isn't it? If you push me, I just push you back. If you say something to me, I might just say something back in in return. That's what the flesh does. It just reacts. But we're called to walk in the spirit. We have to respond to who God is and what God has done for us. My greatest regrets in life are when I didn't respond to God, but I just reacted to some other person. And maybe you've seen that in your relationships. But what we want to do is we want to have meaningful relationships that are based upon what Christ has done for us. And when we begin to treat other people that way, who will benefit? I'll tell you who will benefit. You will benefit because God will do a work in you. No matter how you feel about it, what God does in your life. When you love someone, when you accept someone, when you forgive someone, you're meeting a great need in their life, they will benefit. But every single one of those things that we do, they are a reflection of our love for God and they bring praise and glory to God because those things don't come from us. They come from him. And we don't need to hold on to those. We need to share them freely. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would take the truth of this word and you would take this message and that you would challenge us that we would see relationships are not just about ease and comfort, that relationships are hard. But God, you've shown us what real love is. You've shown us what true acceptance is. You show us what the depth of forgiveness requires. And God, we wanna be a people that our love and our life is proved genuine by how we love other people. So help us to love in this way for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.